0: available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is a CBC Podcast.
3: Guys, guess what? 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 As we're recording this, uh... I guess two announcements I got. Number one, as we're recording this, by the time this comes out, I'm going to say like chances are very high that Taylor, you're going to be a dad of a of second child. Oh yeah, what date is this coming out? This is coming out. Uh, this is coming out. Here's the second announcement. I'll work into this. This is coming out the day before Rare Disease Day. Oh, Oh, February 28th. That is the date that this releases. That's right. Rare Disease Day is tomorrow, February 29th. And actually today's episode, we're speaking with a young woman who has a rare disease, um, and we're going to get to it. Very excited. Uh, Jordan was a lovely guest, but before we get to that, Taylor, congratulations. How, how did the uh, how did the pregnancy how did the uh, the birth giving go? Wow. What do you what okay. do you call that? How did the <coughs> delivery the delivery? Go? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, just one second. I'm accessing an astral projection.
3: But actually, Donovan, you just add some astral projection sound here. That'd be great. Uh. Wow. Intense. Wow, it was
2: intense and uh, very graphic.
0: Wow, do you <laughs> have a right. video that you can send me again?
2: Yeah, almost certainly.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so so we're
3: we're recording this a couple of weeks out, but um, uh, Kyla is like about to burst. She's did you say she's ten centimeters dilated? No, or no. that's the max.
2: Ten centimeters is like ten You're
3: centimeters. Ready to go. Ten centimeters like, is like the ready, baby is coming any yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, hurry, hurry, hut 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 hut. Yeah, hut one two hut hut
0: hut. Like yeah, she's yeah. she's currently three centimeters QB, or at least she was the qb
2: is about to call the snap uh for all you
0: football fans it's a really there. slow motion snap
2: <laughs> yeah a very slow motion snap and uh she is uh she's currently as we sit right now at two effective strategy two or three centimeters dilated <laughs> which means uh yeah coming at, uh, com- at any moment now she could come that moment. baby
0: out yep so, cool. well. Congrats, Tay. Yeah, um, very excited. You know, it was. It's been really um, beautiful to watch you grow into uh, the father role over the uh, yeah. past couple of years.
2: I'm so organized. Um,
0: you've been doing a really great job, and so just don't fuck this one up. Yeah. My my favorite part is that okay. is that how you've
3: uh, you've just incorporated spanking us, me and Brian, uh, when we're when we're naughty.
2: Well, I read a lot of books, and they all kind of they all said you can't do it to your daughter, but all, do it to your. Best they all kind of point towards spanking as, a, as an effective tool for, oh, um,
0: for it, it, management, for I mean, child management. I don't know if I told you this, Jared, but um, Taylor and I talked at length about um, him spanking me because it's actually been part of my therapy journey. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to reintegrate. Um, Why? Because your therapist doesn't want to spank you over Zoom? No, it's because spanking for me was really traumatic as a child. And so I'm now trying to um, rebuild my neuropathways and, and my relationships with spanking. So. Okay. Because yeah. uh, you,
3: you know how I know you're a liberal, Bry?
0: Why? <laughs> Continue. Um, but anyway, it's spank been really effective. It was
3: really traumatic for me.
2: <laughs> All right, Trudeau. Now,
0: now. I've been able to. Hey, See so a question, um, though, guys.
2: We uh, obviously, Brian was spanked. He just said it. Were you spanked? Were you actually spanked? Yeah, I was spanked. I was my spanked
1: mom, a lot.
3: My mom, uh, my mom did spank me a couple times, like with like a wooden spoon. I think. Um, actually, oh, my mom did actually fucking wallop me with a spoon when I, ra- I I I mean I didn't even know I was I didn't even realize what I was doing but I I had we lived in this trailer park what obviously what you're just the way you're painting the picture you know, you, you know how I know that I'm a conservative <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, so, so uh, yeah so we lived in this trailer park and I went on like an adventure with my my buddy in the neighborhood and we made our way out of the trailer park to this like main road, this junction. Wow, what a magical experience. Yeah. And, and uh, he turns to me and he goes, hey, uh, do you want to hitchhike? We, we were like four or five, like four, maybe maybe even four. He goes, hey, do you want to hitchhike? And I was like, yeah. How do you do it? And he goes, you just put your thumb up. And we put our thumbs up and we were trying to hitchhike. Oh, yeah. I did <laughs> and that. And a neighbor yeah. saw us, pulled over and was like, guys, come on, get in the car. We got in the car. We were like, yeah, we got picked up. Drives us home. He tells my mom my mom oh man she was livid and i remember a wooden spoon cracking off my ass and uh, and listen anybody listening to this don't judge my mother those were different times um and look at me now a staunch <laughs> A staunch uh, right-wing, um, uh, libtard cuck hating. Uh, hey, you uh, know what? We're tearing down statues. We're tearing down statues. So. We're tearing down parents. Okay, <laughs> yeah. nobody gets
2: a free pass here. Everybody gets judged by today's oh standards, goodness. no matter what. Especially yeah. you, Maxine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the sweetest woman on um, the planet. I was spanked. Uh, I was spanked. A f- yeah, like a, I, I remember being spanked a few times. Yeah, I'm sure. I, it didn't last. Uh, I
3: could see the vein popping in Don's head as he's just. Giving it to you It didn't
2: last very long. I yeah. remember. I remember we used to go to church, which is interesting to me in hindsight that we ever went to church. But my my dad's side of the family, my dad's mother, my grandmother, like is is just like the the picture of like I've gone to church every day yeah. for my whole life. You know, you go into the house. You know, Jesus with the open heart photo like in every room. <laughs> the open um, so, heart, photo the you know what i mean heart. you know the ble- yeah right, it, right i believe it's the bleeding yeah heart. i mean fuck whatever i didn't pay attention <laughs> in sunday school so like <laughs> Jesus whatever like Lee. that is CVICU. lots of marys marys everywhere but so many marys so many josephs um and i was being a little hellion in church one day and
0: you got spanked in
2: church no i got brought out to the car oh, yeah. oh yeah, shit nice. it was nice. uh, we're leaving nice. and, and it's all gonna, your fault hey. you're not gonna
3: like it
0: yeah Great way to get out of church, though. You know, what? it's funny when I think of my Probably parents spanking it. me. Like, I I f- feel like I feared my mom more. Like, it, she's a, a much smaller woman than my my dad is a human, your and mom is a fierce. But she was fierce, and and the funny thing is, like, when I think of my dad spanking me, I think of him like having the attitude of like, oh, like, I guess I just got to do this. Like, he never really seemed mad when he was doing yeah. it. He just yeah. kind of seemed like he was like, your mom was just like, doing it. My your mom, mom was like, like
2: the Putin that directs the, There's too much politics. the military <laughs> right to, <off>. to invade. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah it, exactly. It, it's, it's the yeah. first thing Wednesday morning. Let's she, doesn't just, ha- yeah. she doesn't actually have to crack the whip, but she gives the orders. Well, speaking of spanking,
3: yeah. I'm going to spank the two of you if you don't shut the fuck up because <laughs> none of this has anything to do with today's uh, discussion. Again, uh, it is Rare Disease Week. Tomorrow is Rare Disease Day. And today we are uh, leading into a beautiful conversation with Jordan Campbell, who lives with hereditary angiodema also known as H-A-E, and uh, if you're anything like me or Brian, who took part in the conversation, um, we had no idea what the hell that was all about, and Jordan is a wonderful voice in the world of advocacy for rare disease, and she did a lovely job uh, walking us through her experience with H-A-E. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with our new friend, Jordan. Okay, Brian, just you and I. It's
0: a big old fucking snow day here in Halifax. I should have waited to say this um, after the show, but that's a fucking sick sweater that you're wearing. Thanks, dude. Yeah, and I bet that people who are just listening to this can maybe see that sweater over on our social media if you check out the video clip from this episode. Yeah, that's right. Just saying. Maybe YouTube, if we put it up there. Who knows? Maybe we'll start doing that. I didn't even ask our guest today. Jordan,
3: are you cool if we throw this up on YouTube? (laughs)
4: Of course, go ahead.
3: Thank God, thank God. Uh, So, Bri, it's just us. uh, Taylor's not here today. He is, uh, it's a snow day. And so he is with his daughter because uh, evidently when the snow falls too much, everything closes except for Sick Boy Studios. Exactly. We're here, we're here. On the grind. That's it. And Daddy is at home taking care of uh, the baby because the baby huh. didn't have daycare. But uncles are here. That's it. The uncles are in town. We're ready to record. <laughs> uh, and we are joined by our new friend Jordan Campbell, all the way from Brampton. And uh, Jordan, Bri Jordan is going to be talking to us about something that I can almost guarantee you've never heard of, because I definitely have never heard of it, and I would be shocked if you have. Okay, I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna give my best effort. At uh, my best attempt at saying it without fucking it up. Okay. We're going to be talking about hereditary. That one's easy. Hereditary angioedema.
4: That's correct. I, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Oh, all right. Yeah, let's go.
3: Let's go. Okay. Um, now, what is that, Brian? What is, it's also known as HAE. Okay. So
0: hereditary. hereditary. We know that you got it from your mama or your dad or, 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 your, or, or your father. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, like- yeah. Or like somewhere in the tr- in the tree? Somewhere, yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I feel like we've I've heard the words on this podcast before. Angio- angioedema. Angioedema. But angioedema. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Jordan, what 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 is that?
4: <laughs> right. so you probably have heard of angioedema before because it is kind of a broad term uh, for it. Pretty much means swelling, um, but this is a genetic kind of swelling uh, that comes from swe- swelling of the blood vessels. Mm. yes i know we all look confused so how how (laughs) does that happen how does that look um so hereditary angioedema kind of manifests in multiple different ways i think for pretty much everyone who's been diagnosed with the disease it looks different in every single person um so it is swelling severe swelling but of several different parts of the body so it can be uh the limbs so hands arms feet um your legs your thighs it can also go to your face uh your throat uh intestines and when it's your intestines it's obviously that's not visual that pretty much looks like you have the flu it's like flu like symptoms um oh, nonstop hmm. vomiting And the only way to get this swelling to go down is, well, obviously with medication. But if you don't have medication, then you're kind of sitting with this swelling for about three to five days.
0: Wow, you know, I'm I'm a I'm not one to pass up a laser lazy river analogy. You sure aren't. And uh, and to me, this it sounds. I can imagine how bad this is based on picturing a lazy river. So like, you have this like nice river I'm where so there's sorry, all these Jordan. I'm so sorry. There's all these tubes that are floating down it. And the tubes are the, the blood vessels and you're, the people are riding around on these little tubes, yep. except your tubes aren't little tubes. They're swelling up. And so they're big tubes. And so I can imagine that if those tubes get too big, then all of a sudden you're having this, like this, like traffic jam of tubes in different parts of your body and it sounds like it's happening like at the ends of your extremities and all these other places so it's like the, the tubes get to these points where they're like oh fuck it's like it's it's yeah, chaos okay, all right. and so yeah. that sounds sure. bad i have yeah. no idea what that means but I, it, I i can picture it and it sounds bad
3: i will jump in and say uh I, I i don't think jordan mentioned her tubes once but um no the tubes are the blood...
0: the tubes oh i see are the, the tubes are in the lazy river oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. those okay. are the tubes that you, the humans are rafting on oh okay not her literal tubes no 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 not not her no, tubes I'm jordan is, how up. accurate I'm is that it
4: up. i i i understand what <laughs> okay. you're saying I, you know i'm getting it
5: And and is it right?
4: (laughs) It it is correct. So pretty much like I remember. So I well, the first time it happened to me, I'm 28 now. So the first time this ever happened to me, I was 16 years old, um, getting ready to go to school one day. And my hand was like a little bit swollen. You know, it wasn't too bad, but it was hurting. And then by the end of the school day, my hand was so swollen, like I could not move any of my fingers. It pretty much was like the size of a softball. Um, oh my god! And so yeah, it, it, and you can't move it. And then once it starts, it starts traveling up your whole arm, and you'll oh pretty goodness. much just you lose the ability to use your entire arm for like three days.
3: Wow, that Holy sounds shit. super scary. Yeah, I mean, like uh, it, you know, so I, um, I have never, I've never had a um, like a, a severe allergic reaction to anything before, um, but. I've definitely had some like skin stuff come up and like skin stuff is like a super fucking annoying. And there's also like a really unsettling element to it when you don't know what it's from. Um, but like swelling, like swelling is swelling is one thing, but your entire hand leading to your entire arm swelling out of seemingly nowhere uh, so like, you know, not tied to like a, you know, a, 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 an insect bite or anything like that. Um, that sounds like, you know, how, you know how sometimes you'll talk to people about like rec- recurring nightmares. Mm-hmm. And one that I feel like is really common is people have like a weird recurring nightmare uh, where like their teeth fall out or something, Whoa. right? And it's like, yeah. if, you, if you took, it, if you took that, that dream reality and brought it into, you know, consensus reality... That would incite some panic, I would believe. Yeah, I I feel like if all of a sudden, like I was having a dream about, you know, my arm just starts swelling out of fucking nowhere and it gets Mm. that swollen over the course of a day, that sounds like one of those, one of those like awful body horror nightmares. And
0: I think unsettling is a really great word because like if you get stung by a bee and you- You know what to expect. You start to swell up. You're like, oh, I know why this is. right? But like swelling in general is like this like, red flag that something's going on in yeah. your body that's bad but when you don't know yeah. what that's coming from unsettling unless really it's like word.
3: unless it's like right after going to the gym and like right. you your know your, your delts are, are swollen and your biceps are again you know are, why that's happening yeah yeah i love i like that swell <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so so that sounds crazy you're 16 you've got this cr- you, you your arm has literally turned into like it's it sounds like you were just like slowly becoming the Michelin man um That's exactly what, what was happened. sort of what kind of reaction are you like and I I mean like like what kind of personal reaction do you have to this? who do you who do you bring it to, and how do the fuck do they react?
4: So I was a very sick kid growing up, like I was always in the hospital, and I was also a dancer, so I was always hurting myself. Um, so right. pretty much my family chalked it up to like a spider biting me or I hurt myself um until it happened like two weeks later to the other arm and it's like well no okay Uh, I freaked out I was very much saying there was something wrong Uh, I went to the doctors and they pretty much said that I had a peanut allergy um and I didn't eat peanuts I hated peanut butter I never went near it uh so it didn't make sense to me um but everyone in my family was like yeah it's a peanut allergy everyone was like it's peanut allergy so I was like okay um and it just continued to happen honestly all throughout high school maybe every 2 weeks once a month one hand would swell up and it would be accompanied by the vomiting but no one everyone was just like no it's peanuts
0: did they say were they like you probably kissed someone who had peanut butter because i feel like that was like a big fear for me in like high school was like if i had peanut butter and then i kiss somebody like was I gonna, they gonna they're gonna be allergic to peanut butter oh is he just then, kissing people on a daily act as a daily activity well, in high, high school you know, like I believe in in like if they're if they consent to it then like sure. yeah right you know, like it's a nice way to show affection for a friend right in high school wow yeah yeah jeez yeah but like, I did you go like Wal- to
3: Waldor- I mean, Waldorf school or something? That sounds so fucking like I progressive, dude. <laughs> Jordan did, Holy shit! Like,
0: Jordan did did they did anybody <laughs> because like if you didn't have peanut butter yourself, I'm sorry, no, like, no, no, no one suggested
4: it, it. I'm sure my doctor thought it, but no one, no one said it out loud like you are doing.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm just on. Really it's just a funny. hunch. Maybe I'm onto something.
3: So, so here's another thing that uh, <laughs> here's another thing that I'll just like I'll throw out there. Um, so. So, so if I, I, again, I didn't know HAE uh, prior to prior to setting up this recording, and I did a little bit of reading. And uh, for any of the nerds out there that are listening, I know there's a lot of a lot of nerds that love this show, a lot of medical nerds. Uh, If you are one of those nerds like us, um, I'm saying like us because I don't want anybody to think that I'm getting like derogatory here. Um, uh, HAE is an autosomal dominant disease. Do you know what that means? You got it from who? Your papa. <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I'm not that. I'm not that much of a wait. Fucking nerd. Wait, no,
0: no, It's it. That has to do with um. Autosomal it's, it's dominant. One, like one carrier. One person, either your mom or dad, were a carrier, and it was a dominant gene from from them.
3: Autosomal means that the gene in question is located on one of the numbered or non-sex chromosomes. Dominant means that a single copy of the mutated gene from one parent is enough to cause the disorder. All right, there we go. I think that like what I said was right, right? Uh, I I actually don't even know what I just read. Um, <laughs> uh, but 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 Jordan, how does but, that? But, 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 wait, but wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Before we go down that road, so it's an autos- autosomal dominant disease caused by either. Okay, this is kind of interesting. Either a lack of C1 inhibitor protein or dysfunctional C1 inhibitor protein, which. Brings me back around to exactly to where I wanted to go with this, which is that it is considered a rare disease, right, Jordan? Let's... How rare are we talking?
4: I think it's one in fifty thousand Canadians.
3: Okay, that's so that's that's really rare. rare. Yeah, um, and the interesting part about this, and especially just just thinking about this from like a uh, a, a perspective of like. You know, so Jordan, just for context, right now we're in the midst of putting together a, a another podcast series for C- Cystic Fibrosis Canada, Oops. and a big part of that series, we were like getting into the hard-headed, nerdy science behind like what the fuck is happening in the human body to create this thing, and it all stems from a genetic disorder uh, yeah. that affects one single protein of the body, yeah. and it seems like it's a very similar situation here where there's one tiny little aspect of our machine is just out of, you know, the wrong shape. It was like the wrong screw didn't fit into the hole, but someone rammed it in. And now it's causing this trickle down effect that leads to all these fucking issues. And I know that for some rare diseases like cystic fibrosis, 99% of the time, especially today in current, you know, the the current day that we live in, it's pretty quick and pretty easy to get a diagnosis of CF. Um, But I also know that for a lot of rare diseases, especially like the really rare diseases, getting down to a diagnosis is an absolute bitch of a process. And some people can go years without receiving a proper diagnosis. I'm curious to know, when you were 16 and the first thing you were told was, "Uh, eh, it's probably a peanut allergy." That doesn't sound very promising to getting a very quick diagnosis. So like, what did that what did that journey look like for you? Maybe take us through like from your, you know, from the best of your your recollection, like what was that process of getting down to the fact that okay, this is actually something that is due to a C1 inhibitor protein? So
4: it's a lot um scarier Uh, than you would probably think, and from when I remember Mm. it, it was like the worst time of my entire life, Um, but all throughout high school, I was pretty much told the same thing. Um, There was nothing wrong with me. I spent every Christmas in the hospital just with norovirus or just like flu-like symptoms, Um, and by the time I graduated high school and no one in the GTA, no hospital could really help me, I kind of just kind of got sick and tired and I applied to university four hours north and I just moved away. I moved four hours away and I was like, maybe someone up here can help me. And I remember telling my roommates my first week that this thing happens to me. I get really, really sick. And frosh week, that first week at university, one of my roommates had to take me in a taxi to the hospital because I was pretty much unresponsive on my uh, bedroom floor and they had just met me. Um, and that first year university, I had a similar
0: experience during frost week, frosh week, but uh, for different reasons. (laughs) You motherfucker, maybe
4: alcoholic. Hey, you know what? My doctors thought, uh, they thought that I had alcohol poisoning, so that's why they thought I was in the ER. That was not the case. Um, So, yeah, all throughout my first year university, uh, I was in the ER a lot, but um, they actually were trying to do testing on me, different testing than I was getting at home. Um, I was being tested for what I can remember was uh, bone cancer. Um, They were debating on taking out my appendix and my gallbladder at one point because they thought that was what was making me sick. Um, Went through a bunch of different diagnoses. And then once I was in my fourth year university, four years of just being sick all the time, um, hundreds of hospital Mm. stays. Um, I had this cough that wasn't going away. And I woke up one morning and uh, my throat was swollen. My face was kind of swollen. I just didn't look right. And my voice was like an octave lower. And, um, I tried getting a a doctor's appointment and I couldn't really get one till like 4 PM. So I waited the whole day trying to see a doctor. I see this doctor and the doctor just called the hospital immediately. Um, and I got sent to the ICU in North Bay. And uh, within like 45 minutes, um, they pretty much had to put me on, they had to intubate me. So I was put on life support and Whoa. I was like that for five days. And that is what led me to my diagnosis.
0: Whoa. Holy shit. Wow! That's, that, that's such a, um, like, I, I, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes for that time. And, and I imagine it's really frustrating um, mm. constantly being sick and going to the hospital and like doing a, a lot of people when they're in those positions like you know they'll either put off like going to the hospital or or like because they just kind of lose faith and in I the, was and I system. was at that
4: point, and I think that's why yeah. I ended up getting so sick because I was putting it off and they would blame it on you know like smoking weed or like drinking or you know like I, I, it felt like mm. I was being blamed for being sick. um so yeah, I actually did stop I stopped going to the hospital. I stopped actually reaching out for care.
0: Do you remember what it like what it what it felt like emotionally um, getting to that point of like having to go into the ICU? Did you have like feelings about, you know, the hospital and seeing doctors at that that point? Do you, can you remember what that felt like?
4: Well, I just remember that day in particular, it felt like people actually cared. It felt like people were listening to me. So it wasn't like I wasn't scared of the hospital. There was no fear because the nurses, everyone was taking me so seriously. Um, So it wasn't that. It was uh, just being told, like, you know, like I thought I was going in with like a sore throat. You know, Um, I had a cheerleader. I was on the cheerleading team. I was supposed to be going to Montreal that weekend for, you know, nationals and, it was the Wednesday that this was happening, so you know I thought I was just going to be good, get some antibiotics, um, and that's just obviously not what happened. So I thought the I just remember being really scared to you know be intubated because I didn't really understand understand what that meant at that time. Um, and then five days mm-hmm. pass, and you just you know you have no idea what happened.
0: Mm-hmm. How did they explain that to you? Like when because you know I've I've been. Uh been able to like understand what being intubated is by hearing people like you tell their stories and talk about that experience. Um and and I imagine if I didn't have any knowledge of being intubated and I had this, you know, nurse or doctor or professionals speaking to me and telling me about what that might be like, I imagine it would be like incredibly terrifying. <laughs> um, what was that like?
4: I didn't understand. Um I just like I now going back trying to put myself in that room and like they were telling me And I didn't understand. I didn't understand what it meant. And I don't think Mm. even till after it was over with, and I went home, I didn't even really understand what happened.
0: Mm. Did they? um, So when you came out of um, being intubated after those five days, did you get answers then?
4: No. Um, so the people who were looking after me at the hospital, they didn't, they couldn't figure out what happened. They pretty much just intubated me until the swelling went down, but they couldn't figure out why the swelling was there and how to get it to go down. So that's why I was in two, it was only supposed to be like 24 hours, 48 hours, and then it ended up being five days. So they didn't really understand what happened. And, uh, they asked me, you know, you have to dig deeper. Like you might have an autoimmune disease. They were, went through my whole medical history and they didn't understand why I'd been so sick my whole life. So, um, I went home and my aunt works at a hospital um, in Mississauga and she ended up going around her hospital to the immunology to all these different doctors that she had never met before and that she had met before. And um, they had given the suggestion to do the C1 esterase test and that's where it came from.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, what's wild about that to me is that I actually heard a really great clip from uh uh, the YouTube doctor, Doctor Mike, the other day, talking is about he like the handsome guy that, that yeah. Like, yeah 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 that uh, Pamela is like like has been on his show, I think so yeah 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 and he, he was talking about um you know when a patient comes into his office this is something only like recently that he's he's like sort of learned to do and he and he feels like it's really helpful for patients it's something that he didn't think about or wasn't taught during his his um, medical training but he now asked the people who come into his office, who he doesn't have answers for. He's like, if I tell you that there's something wrong with you and I don't know what it is, but I just sort of like validate the fact that you're experiencing this um, and send you on your way, like, is that enough for you? Or do you need sort of like extra, you know, do you need to come back and see me? And do we need to keep pursuing this? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. people just need to like be heard and told that, you know, like, yeah, you are sick right now. We don't know exactly what it is, but like, you know, if, if... if you go home and you rest and um, try to try to do these things and take care of yourself and feel better, then, then like, will that be good enough for you? And if they say yes, then that's fine. But if they say no, then he knows that he needs to continue seeing them and keep working on that. And um, it makes me think of like your situation, Jordan, where, you know, like you've been in the ICU for five fucking days and like, And like, they basically at at the end of that don't have any answers for you. And did it feel like they were just sort of like sending you off going like, well, you know, like we've gotten you back to a stable place. Like, good luck. Hope that doesn't happen again. Or was, did you feel at that point that like it had reached such a breaking point that they were like, okay, um, we like there needs to be some sort of plan to like follow up and figure out what the fuck is going on with you because like talking about you know getting your aunt to help out it, it sounds like there wasn't even a clear plan yeah at that point. no
4: they, they they were pretty much like we don't know what's wrong with you um like my mom kind of just felt like they sent us on our way and you know we kind of just yeah. went home uh yeah no there wasn't really any plan to like no one ever suggested that they were gonna like dig deeper and figure out what it was so uh i'm glad that somehow I was able to figure out what it was and I just got lucky I think
0: mm-hmm. when you're um when you uh when your aunt was sort of uh advocating for you and they they looked into um like what what sort of approach did they take to to identify what was going on compared to like all of the other times that you had been to the the I hospital I think it was and, the particular doctor no that
4: she went to to talk to about this. Uh, The one that she went to, he was explaining the symptoms and I guess she had never talked to him about it before. And this doctor in particular, he said, well, there's this test, the C1 S-rays deficiency test, and I run it on all my patients that come through, but I've never seen anyone with it come back positive. And, um, she told him to do it. And I'm the only patient he's ever had that it came back positive, but he said that he ran it on everyone just because it was a free test. And when he was running blood samples, why not run it?
0: Mm -hmm. That's so fascinating. What, like, so
3: I'm, I'm just kind of curious about how your, you know, how, how something like this sort of. And, and and maybe from the, maybe from the the point both from you know like pr- prior to a diagnosis and then after diagnosis because I know that you know I know through speaking with people on the show for almost a decade like there's there's sort of like the you before diagnosis and the you after especially with folks that have like had that that extended period of time where they didn't know what was going on, um, so like how what whether it's whether it's prior to receiving the diagnosis or after. How was this? Uh, how is this? How is this affecting your sort of day to day? You know, like how how often were you experiencing, sort I guess, like flare ups or whatever you know, whatever term you'd use. And and in and on top of that, like how did that in turn affect your interpersonal relationships? Whether that's you know, ro- romantic relationships or friendships or family, like those types of things.
4: So um, for me, I had a tax pretty much once a month uh, and that went on, you know, from when I was 16 all the way to 21. So it was very much like a part of my life. Um, the most part that it affected the most was working um, as a university student. Like I was a server and if your hands was up. You can't hold the tray anymore. So um, that was really frustrating to me. I found work to be the worst, but I had a really understanding um, owner of the restaurant. He had Crohn's disease. And he was very understanding. So I just had to show him my hand or if I felt sick or something, he actually would just put me in his truck and drive me straight home. Um, He was very understanding. So I got lucky with that as well. Um, Relationship wise, it was very strange uh, because um, sexual intercourse, another part that I didn't tell you, your genitals can swell up. Um, So imagine just, you know, like trying to have a one night stand in university and then the next day you're swollen and it's not even that swells then it travels down your legs all the way down to your ankles and so oh like God. you're quite literally unable to walk for like three days because your legs don't work anymore and your ankles don't bend anymore and so that was just something i tried to avoid honestly in university just because it would literally take me out of school it would take me out of cheerleading it would take me yeah. out of everything um so there was that um And then once you get your diagnosis, right, um, I I was first, I was devastated. And it's so funny to look at now, like, why was I devastated? Because my life was pretty miserable and I was miserable all the time. And I don't, you know, now I just have a needle that I have to do, you know, every week and you do your needle and you don't experience any symptoms at all. Um, It's such a like 180 from what my life was before. So, um, yeah, there is definitely a before diagnosis, Jordan, and then after.
3: Wow, I I so just back to the um back to the the like experience with with um like with your sex life yeah um is it like is the swelling a direct result of something in particular like what like what are I guess what are the things that trigger it so like, oh, there's multiple is triggers it, like were you, were you having that experience because because you know of of like the the closeness of 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 sex and so it's like a repetitive sort of friction or whatever is causing the 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 HAE to like act up in that moment at that specific spot.
4: Yeah, I don't. There's multiple reasons why it starts. So like, there's never really a pinpoint, but I mean, trauma to the body is one, and then and so I, I assume it's just you know like just too much of a repeated action that body acts like it's being traumatized, and so it begins to swell. Um, there's allergies. Um, I just like, you know, like like if I got like a carpet burn or something like that, that would make my hands fall up. If my, you know, ex's cat scratched sure. me, like that would make my hands fall up. So it didn't it didn't even have to be like hard force. Something really, really small would trigger
0: it. Mm-hmm. Did you know like were there moments where like something would happen and you'd be like, oh, f- here we Fuck. go like this yeah. is it gonna, was pretty no it yeah, was like, it's gonna go. it was
4: like every time i it was every time i had sex it would happen so it was that <laughs> it was i just tried to avoid doing it because i you know the next morning yeah or you had to do it on a thursday or friday so you have the weekend to like lie there and you're not missing school <laughs> i
0: i wasn't specifically asking about sex in that situation too but like if you were if you like walked by a cupboard and like bumped your hand on the cover <laughs> and you're like yeah oh
1: Block yeah. yeah. like
0: I'm not gonna be able to work tonight. Yeah. yeah.
4: Are you stub your toe or something?
0: Yeah. Damn, that would Fuck. that would be the worst. Literally, it's like I, the like,
4: littlest and, thing.
3: And is this, you know, because this is hereditary, is there, you know, after getting the diagnosis, was there did you have that experience with your family where, you know, there was kind of like a, oh yeah, in retrospect, you know, like grandma got like would swell up with those types of things? Or like, you know, like, is it, is it like, oh, yeah, we can kind of pinpoint that this is in the family and has been, but we just never really looked at it that way? Or, or are you like, you know, are you patient zero in the in the uh, Campbell family? I
4: was patient zero up until the X. And then um, a couple months, well, my sister had been diagnosed with IBS uh, for years. They kept telling her she had IBS. So um, about a month or two after my diagnosis, her arm swallowed up for the first time. So then she was number two to be diagnosed. And then I guess, well, we had both my parents do a genetic test. um, And we forced my dad to do it. My my dad doesn't live with us anymore. So we had forced him to do it. He agreed to participate. And then I guess like a year and a half, two years after uh, participating in the genetic test, it came back that he was actually the carrier. And about a year after that, he started. You know experiencing symptoms so now he's actually although in the hospital and quite ill now but yeah so uh my mom my wow. dad and my sister have it
0: you mentioned that uh that like the treatment is is a needle um but also you said that when you were diagnosed that it was it was a bit of uh a shock for you like how did they did they know what the treatment plan would be right from the point of diagnosis
4: yeah so the day i was diagnosed um the doctor had a treatment plan for me uh back then it was ivs um so i had a nurse that had to come to my house twice a week to give me ivs um my mom tried my sister tried we all got trained to do ivs uh, we were not successful in finding the vein it was very hard my sister was a true you know i remember my sister she's like no i can do it i can do it and she just i remember her stabbing herself in the arm and her face just went white and like you know she hit the wrong place completely and she's like okay yeah i guess we need a nurse so for like two years we had a nurse come twice a week um and then i was given i was granted um what's it called i can't remember what it's called um but the manufacturer of a new drug pretty much um gave it to me as a gift because i was like a trial run in canada for it um, which was a just a needle in your leg, and I've been on that since 2019.
0: What's it called? Compassionate. Compa- um yes. Compassionate care. care. Compassionate yeah. care case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh that's that's wild that you were trained to give yourself IV- IVs. That's pretty like, cool. I they come not, with like full sure, sets to
4: train you. <laughs>
3: I, uh, my anxiety is through the roof just having just over the last two minutes. Um, I've got, a, hates I've got a thing with needles. I hate needles um, too, but I intravenous needles specifically.
4: No, I hate that. I, I also hate them. I still have to, I do it once a week and I try putting it off as, as much as I can. It's, it's...
3: so, so you do it, so you do it yourself and now we're at, we're at a point where it's, we're, you know, you're, it, whether, whether it's through your you know your current your particular situation or through advancement in treatment like it's it's more of a it's just a shot is that is that correct and it's like and you do this once a week yourself
4: yeah so that yeah and definitely just in my case because my sister is really different um she's still she she's on a different medication but she has to take it every single day because she's still very very poor uh my dad also didn't do very well with this medication so he's on something different and there's a lot more needles to that. So, um, for me, this one has worked for me and I haven't had any issues or any attacks in a few years now. And it's, uh, yeah, just a needle that has to go in my leg.
0: How, how life-changing is it to know what you have and then get that medication?
4: It's well, I mean, I haven't been to the hospital in years. And if I look back at 21 and if I ever thought, oh, I'm never going to be in the hospital again, like I I thought I was going to be sick forever. Because from when I was a kid, that's just my whole life was always being in the hospital. So it's like completely life-changing for me to have something, to know what it is, to be able to like, wear it on my wrist and explain it to someone. And if I'm sick in the hospital, if it comes to the point where my throat's swelling again, like I can go to the hospital. I say what I, I tell them what medication I need. I can, you know, direct them instead of you know being all confused and everyone just being like, are you sure? So, um, yeah, it's, it just feels, I don't What's the word? I don't know. I feel confident in myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, um, when you're giving yourself injections, do you ever uh, make jokes about, uh, like say that you're taking steroids or things like that? Because if I was doing that, I would make that joke all the time.
3: Yeah. Oh, would you? Yeah. To yeah. the point where
0: it'd be really annoying for everybody. Yeah.
3: I'm already annoyed that you even asked that question. Yeah. But but go ahead, Jordan. You can answer. I
4: mean, like as a guy, I I, I get it. I, I feel like a guy would say that, a girl. I don't think you know what steroids <laughs> do to girls. So I don't, I don't really know if that's something I would say. However, the first treatment for AHE was steroids.
3: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Like, uh, like, like prednisone like or something. Like actual,
4: like anabolic steroids. Like, uh,
3: oh whoa, no yeah, way! That whoa, was crazy. The very first treatment.
4: Wow. So, um, yeah. Well,
3: holy fuck! And were people just getting jacked up <laughs> on? So on my dad, HAE meds? when he was
4: younger, he did steroids, and so he had this disease, and I think he honestly oh. delayed symptoms for years and years and years because he was just he was treating for himself for something he didn't know yet.
0: Wow! You heard it here,
3: folks. Wow. Steroids not not as bad as they seem. They might be really good for yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Jordan Depending. said it. Jordan's yeah. saying it right now yeah. on air, advocating for for young people to start taking steroids because you never know. That's I, the yeah. biggest thing I've. Taken I didn't. Away. I'm not saying it, but but hey,
0: um, you know, H A E certified. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a. Fun. Did you get jacked? Like, actually, um, did you ever get? uh did you have to do drug testing for cheerleading no we
4: didn't have to do that
0: okay were you like uh were you a a base throwing people in the air no
4: i was the person being thrown in the air but i like that you know that it's a base throwing the people in the air
0: (laughs) yeah did you do tumbling i did yes yeah cool did you do that thing where you like like stretch your leg up and like put your arm through like you're shooting an arrow type of thing what the fuck brian were you cheerleading? what's going on here no but i think it's cool and i watched um what was that i watched a lot of football (laughs) what was that cheerleading
3: movie
4: bring it on
0: uh bring it on uh, yeah fuck yeah i was
3: gonna say stomp the yard but it's definitely not (laughs) that are you tired of hearing the same old wellness
2: advice it's time to dig deeper
3: There's so many days in the year, and uh, everything has a day. Um, but uh, this week uh, we are we're landing on Rare Disease Day, which is uh, which I believe is February 29th. Um, so as this comes out, it will be the end of the week, uh, just near the end of the week. And having said that, Jordan, I know you, uh, I know you do, you know, like you've stepped into a role of advocacy for HAE, um, and I'm just kind of curious about. Uh, where that stemmed from, when you decided to to advocate um, as a patient advocate, uh, and what does that look like for you? Like, how, how do you how, like? What's the way that you advocate for HAE?
4: So when I was first diagnosed, um, I made a YouTube video that was like fifteen minutes long, just going through the entire diagnosis, everything that you know, happened to me um, and what H HEY E is because I didn't want it to happen to someone else. And if someone else was out there experiencing these symptoms, I wanted them to know what it was because there were so many nights in university, I was Googling these symptoms, watching videos, and I never came across it. And within like a month or two of posting that video, I had people all over the world commenting on it saying, you know what, what's the test? I think this is what I have. Um, And it started, you know, going places. Um, But four years later, HAE Canada, I guess, came across the video and they reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to advocate for them um, at like patient uh, update meetings and at events that they have if I wanted to be a speaker and talk about my story. Um, So that was really fun. I've gotten to go on a few medical conferences, um, that they've just been partners with people on. And I, you know, go from conference to conference, just, uh, talking about HAE. Um, the medication that I'm on is called tax zero. Uh, they're made by a company called Takeda and, uh, they received like a pharmaceutical award. It's one of the highest in Canada, uh, last year for the drug. So I was invited to the unveiling of the award, like the red, uh ribbon cutting ceremony so that was pretty cool uh trapezean ha oh, in canada fun. so i don't know i just uh i go to their events i speak about my story me and my sister do um i don't think my dad's really gotten into it yet but i think we're gonna we're we're pretty much just like the family the face to the disease right now
3: mm. well i mean you forced him to go get uh, tested so you might as well just force him onto
0: the stage with you one of these <laughs> you days, know so. you
4: got a story to tell too
0: that's right um when you're so did you say your sister was diagnosed after you what was what was that experience like like having your sister go through something similar and 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 navigating that with her
4: so she was sick for years uh it just looked really different um like i said ibs It just, it looked like IBS and it just looked like she had severe stomach issues for years. Um, So for her, it was probably very relieving to have a diagnosis. Um, But it is like very different journeys because she is still very ill and in the hospital at least once a month. Um, Traveling for her, like over the last, you know, eight years has been very, very complicated. She hasn't been able to really go anywhere at all. And, you know, medication doesn't work for her. So... Yes, I know she's happy that she has a diagnosis and she knows what it is, but she doesn't have, uh, like, the same happy journey that I've had at this point.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you know from, like, doing advocacy work uh, for HAE Canada and, and like, being involved in the community, how effective um, typically these drugs are? Because, like, obviously with your experience you know, it's it's worked really well for you, but your sister and your dad both haven't found effective drug treatments. Um is that like standard across the community?
4: Yeah. So I I, feel like everyone well, when I join these HAU Canada patient meetings, it's very interesting to hear which drug everyone's on because like from province to province, obviously availability differs and in what share insurance companies will cover. Um, so that's also probably a, you know, another big thing that isn't talked about, but um, I think there's only about like two or three. Like if I'm saying in a meeting about of about twenty people, uh, I would say about only other two to three patients would be on the drug that I'm on, I'm on, and then what my sister's on, maybe like five, and then what my dad's on, like maybe like five. So everyone in the community is kind of on something different, and it works for them very differently, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. it almost reminds me of like uh, of cystic fibrosis, Jerry, in the sense that like you know. With with your case, uh, Trikafta works for a large portion of the community, but there's people in the community that it doesn't work for, and there's other drugs for those mutations. There's some mutations that don't have drugs for them, and it just kind of depends mm. on the the variation of the the gene mutation. Yeah, um, but I imagine it's like far more complex than just like you know assigning one drug and saying like this is the thing that's going to work for all people with HAE. Yeah, mm. mm-hmm. how, like how did
3: when it comes to your your you know your experience with advocacy, how did that um, how did that change the way that you relate to your illness?
4: Uh, it, well, it, knowing that you can help someone just by talking to them and just sharing your experience, asking them what they're going through, just being like, "Hey, I went through the same thing. How did I cope with it?" and just sharing that, and knowing that I'm actually helping someone has helped me a lot because it just makes me feel like I'm not as alone and I'm not as down on myself and that those bad days and those bad experiences, those long nights in the hospital, it was kind of worth something, not just for me to feel better at the end of the day, but to help someone else feel better. Um, That makes me feel, I don't know, like it makes me feel brave and good inside. And my sister doesn't really take my advice all that much, but I know that when she gets to listen to me talk about it and what I went through, it makes her feel not as alone because if she was just going through this by herself, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think she would have made it this far, you know, like I feel really bad for her some days cause I don't know how she's only four years younger than me. So at this point she started when she was 16 as well. And now she's like 24. So it's been going on a lot longer for her. Um, and just because I, mm at the end of the day, my case was what worse I was put on life support. It doesn't mean that or diminish anything that she's gone through. Um, and I get, you know, all the stories and everyone asks me how I'm feeling and just because she doesn't really talk about it as much. Um, but I feel like her story, you know, should be shared more. And cause it's, there's not always, you know, the happy light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like that for everyone. Mm.
3: Hmm. Um, speaking of, you know, the fact that HAE is hereditary, um, ha- has it influenced your thoughts at all about, you know, genetics and, and possibly having children in the future? Um, like what what does that, what comes up for you there um, when, when you think about that aspect of your life, if that's something that you've, you know, considered?
4: So my mother has always told me that I should not have children. She's never wanted me to pass it on because it is genetic. Um, her point of view is she doesn't want me to have the life she had, um, which was, you know, growing up with a, you know, mm. toddler baby in the hospital. Um, I feel differently because for her, she had a child who she didn't know was really that ill. She thought, you know, like she was told right. like these minor illnesses, like RVS and stuff like kids get right. Um, she was never told that there was something actually wrong with her child, or they may have an autoimmune disease. Um, and so she went living mm-hmm. all these years with a child with a rare disease that was undiagnosed. So I get her point of view going in and out of hospitals, uh, never being told what was really wrong. And then you have to just go right back. Um, and that's probably very, very hard being in and out of hospitals and never having an answer. Uh, but for me, I have an answer. I know what it is. And I know what my child it's going to go through. I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. And I know how to best care for it. I know what you're supposed to do in those situations. Um, so I feel like I, if I wanted to have a child, I, you know, I I can, and I feel like I'd be prepared to deal with those things. And yes, they're going to get sick, but every child gets sick at the end of the day. Um, and I spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. in hospitals, so you know why I wouldn't, Taking care of your child is is going to the hospital with them. That is a part of it. So I I would be very happy to have mm. children. I I want to have you know a, a mini me one day. So I'd be okay with it.
3: I I love that. I love that you that you were able to contemplate and and like come to that decision on your own. Because like you know on one hand I get it, mom. You're like I get the I get the idea of like not wanting to see your child have to go through the shit that you went through when she has yeah. a kid. Um but but again like you're coming into this with the experience that sort of preps you for that experience with a child that might have that experience. So it's like you know there's no better mom to have a a a kid with HAE than a mom that has HAE who knows what it's like to have it. Um yeah, I think that's I think that's a really like a really valid point. Because like the, the, the thought of having children is something that, that I always I always thought I always thought uh, I would never have children. And it's only been in the last like, you know, less than a year where I've been where I've completely yeah. flipped uh, like a 180 flip on on that on that thought. And if my if you know, if I had a kid and, and the kid came came into this world with cystic fibrosis. Um, I don't, you know, obviously you'd be like, you don't want your child to be sick, but like I would be, I, I think I would be like prepared mm-hmm. to, to handle that and, and to know how to like navigate that seeing as how I've, I've, it's all I've ever known. So I'm, I really like, but I've never thought about it that way until you just said it. I a, so I'm, I'm glad like you said that. Obviously it's going that's to be uh, difficult. Yeah. It's really, it's a really great way to look at it. But it's
4: difficult that you are used to.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. I, I have a, a, bit of a, maybe a tough question for both of you guys. I think it's, I think it's great that you're able to Jordan, that you're able to understand sort of like how your mom's experience with her trauma informs her opinion on that, but also like acknowledge that and then be able to have your own opinion on that. Um But all, but I, I'm curious, like if you guys, if either one of you were, were considering having a child and, you know the opportunity was there to do genetic testing before, and you found that you know the whether like how early you can detect it, whether it's in the embryo or um or or shortly after that you're able to identify that that um, baby that's growing there has either hAE or cystic fibrosis in your case here. Would you consider like not having that child? No, no
4: um well i'm pretty sure when you're having like it so when we were like when i was born um hau was not part of the genetic testing when you're having a kid but i'm pretty sure in canada now it is um so i would do it just to like you know be prepared uh but it wouldn't like sway my decision Mm -hmm. either way if i know yes or no they're gonna have it i would get the genetic testing done but it wouldn't change my opinion
3: yeah Mm. yeah same Mm -hmm. yeah
0: it's 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 in- interesting and like I mean I don't have any strong thoughts or feeling either way. I, f- I find it hard to imagine myself in a situation like that. Um, Would you abort a baby that had ADHD if you could find
3: out it had ADHD in the womb? No, I yeah, think ADHD is a superpower. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so yeah. Is CF. Yeah, maybe HAE is too.
0: Yeah, and, I, and but I but mean I, HAE but, definitely
3: is a superpower if you want to like punch a motherfucker out. And you and and you just got to scratch your fist like five minutes before but the it fight. It wouldn't hurt you. It only You're coming into
0: them. that motherfucker with a built-in boxing glove. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah. But to be to be um, <laughs> like to be honest with my the thinking about this is like I also don't think that somebody who chooses not to do that is no making a bad decision. No, no, absolutely you know? not. Yeah. Like I th- I think that it depends with your level of pre- preparedness to deal with that from either an emotional and mental mm-hmm. um, perspective, um, you know, there's there's a lot of considerations to make. Totally. And I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't judge anyone for making no, that no, decision of course not either way. And
3: again, like if I had a different experience with CF where it was like, you know, really, right, I, I mean, not to say, like I've had a hard time with CF for sure. My, my experience with it has been tough. Um, but but it, it, it has been so tough that there's a part of my mind that goes, well, I would... I would never want to subject that to any other, any other being that comes into this world. And I know that there's people out there that that have had it so fucking rough that that's probably where their mind would go. And that's totally valid. You know, it's to, it's it, it's all entirely dependent on your worldview and on your you know your past experiences and on. I mean, fuck, it's it's it, dependent on like where you're at in that yeah. particular moment in time, right? Like 35 years of my life, I was like, I'm, not, yeah. I'm never gonna have kids, mm-hmm. um, and that. All of a sudden, it just switched. I don't. I don't know. I must have watched like a fucking, watched too many like, like, fucking like rescuing like the dodo or some shit. Just like puppies being rescued from
0: the street on Instagram or something. I was like, oh, I gotta have a child. I guess you know. I also think that we're like biologically programmed to like at this age start thinking about those things in ways that we probably don't think about them until now. Yeah, probably. Um, like at least, I mean, I feel that way. Yeah. Like, I, for a lot of my life, I grew up thinking like, man, I, I don't know if I'll ever be equipped to have a kid. Yeah. And then, you know, in recent years, and then I've you sold your West
3: and got a bunch
0: of money, and you went, you know what? Now, now yeah. I think I actually,
3: now I'm not sinking. <laughs> Tens of thousands of dollars into my Westphalia every month. I can. Uh, I also I can foresee a, a life where I can afford a
0: child. I, th- I think getting a, a dog too and taking care of something like yeah. that. And because yeah. for me, like my ADHD brain thinks a lot about the amount of work and like things that I'll have to think about with yeah. having a kid. Yeah. And so it feels overwhelming to think about the idea. But then looking at the example of like taking care of a dog, which obviously is like. You know, far less work than taking care of a human, but I think it gives you a taste of like of that responsibility of like taking care of something that's yeah. not just you, mm-hmm. yeah. And um and realizing that 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 it doesn't, um take away from my life, it actually, um makes it better in so yeah. many different ways. Yeah, I, I think like that sort of more mature way of thinking about it has made me, you know, brought me around to the idea of yeah. having kids. I love that this uh the the podcast just turned into like a
3: like let's just let's just Fucking like guilt the world into having more babies. <laughs> no,
0: no, it's not. But I mean, we're we're not we're not giving anybody anyone we're listening not telling anybody here, you better have a kid
3: quick because time's <laughs> running out. Um, Jordan, I got a I got a two part question to to sure. wrap this up, um, and it's a question that we ask a lot of our guests. Uh, the first part is, what is the biggest thing that HAE has taken away from you?
4: That's a good question, but honestly, I really don't think that HAE took anything away from me like I just feel I, I I thought I was normal growing up um today I still think I'm normal I had a really good childhood I was able to compete in dance I was able to be a cheerleader I was able to work uh yeah it was a drag being sick all the time and having to go to the hospital but I don't really think that there was anything really missing from my childhood and even today like I have to do a needle but I don't think that it's a needle really takes anything away from my life, so I don't find this disease to be that much of a. I don't think it's taken anything away from me.
3: What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you?
4: It's given me a lot of confidence. It's given me the ability to help people all over the world. It's given me a voice um, to talk to people like me and to just talk about sickness and uh, hospitals and to share my life with people.
1: Hmm.
0: I'm really surprised you didn't say the ability to make steroid jokes in the gym, because like I would I'd, totally be in the gym, yeah, yeah jabbing we heard, we my heard, leg and then flexing yeah, in the mirror. We heard it earlier, bro. We we got it. we get it. We get okay. it that, that you'd use that joke. Sorry, Sorry uh, Jordan. Jordan
3: uh, you are you're also uh, you're also an artist, right?
4: Yes, I, uh, I I I sing some songs. I write some songs.
3: You've yeah, you Yeah, I'm on your uh, Spotify right now. It uh, looks like you've got like uh, like a, a full album or EP here, a couple singles. Um, I I would love to uh, to kind of wrap this up, uh, play out the episode to your to your latest single that's on Spotify uh, called "Hit and Run," and uh, again that's Jordan Campbell on Spotify. If you want to go check that out, um, but we'll we'll play we'll play the episode out with "Hit and Run," and uh, and Jordan, I want to say thanks. Big shout out. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. This has been really awesome. And uh, and a reminder again, folks, uh, this week, Rare Disease Day falls on Thursday, uh, February 29th. So you heard an episode here about a rare disease. Now you know that the day is coming up. And so maybe uh, maybe share this episode with somebody that you love, somebody that you know, in order to spread the awareness around one of the many rare diseases that are affecting Canadians and Americans and, you know, world, uh, humans leaders of the world, yeah. Yeah. And world, leaders, world leaders, you know, you never know. Um, uh, because, uh, because even though there's a day for everything, uh, it doesn't take away the fact that those days are important. And so, uh, Jordan, we really appreciate you taking time to sit down and share your experience with us. Uh, okay, well, there we go. Uh, that was uh, that was a great conversation, and uh, and again, Rare Disease Day is tomorrow, and um, we probably already said this at the top of the episode, but how funny is it that Rare Disease Day is on February 29th?
2: Do they only get the day every I don't, four I years? I yeah.
3: have to talk to the Rare Disease Pe- Day
0: people.
2: I mean, is it like an Olympic event?
0: I don't know. I, I feel really like know. maybe they do it on the twenty eighth. Um, actually, you know what? From an organizational perspective, it's probably easier to facilitate every four years. You know? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> it's a little bit less yeah. work.
2: Yeah, it's rare.
3: Um, <laughs> so what I would love to... Uh, I got something prepped for you guys that I think is going to be very fun. And uh, uh, I want to I introduce this by saying we are going to talk about butts. But specifically, we're going to be talking about male butts. Oh, <laughs> okay, so... I thought we were going to talk... Yeah. Which uh, which I I don't think either all any of us have wiggle. I thought
2: we were going to talk about Zendaya,
3: um, her butt.
2: Yeah, you guys haven't seen the meme going around. You guys aren't a part of the meme culture. No, you
3: know no, I'm I'm cutting back. On all right,
2: well, just look up Zendaya butt.
3: It's not. I'm not, not going to Google Zendaya butt. It's not. I'm not I'm it's exactly not. Right. It's Definitely
2: not, not uh, bad. It's not bad.
3: I, I got canceled the, a couple weeks ago uh-huh. for saying that I I looked at. Well, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. You know what? Yeah. Not
2: butt. Don't put butt.
3: Zendaya cheeks. Also, not going to definitely not going to Google that, yeah, Google not not that either. That. Okay. Um, so this is a this is this, so so I I I dived into the fascinating world of um, of research papers that specifically pertain to plastic surgery. Huh. And let me tell mm. you, it is much more interesting than most research papers because and this totally makes sense i never thought about it this way but it has a lot to do with like degrees of angles and and like and shape and all this kind of stuff so this one particular uh, dude
0: i i get i understand this now that you said it that way yeah i understand it completely because i just bought a 3d printer yeah and when you print things on three on a 3d printer you have to, like, if you have a, a right angle and, like, there's, like, an overhanging piece, you need to, like, build in stabilizers for that in the print because it can't, like, print out directly. Right. And I'm imagining that if you're trying to shape a butt, the first thing I think of when you say degrees and angles, I'm thinking, like, well, you can't, if you make it, like, too s- straight out. yeah. Then it's you're not gonna have weird, to support. You're gonna it's you're gonna like a funny butt. get like a saggy, you get a clown butt. Yeah, yeah. and so uncanny like Valley. it must be really uncanny difficult. Valley, butt. like the math behind <laughs> getting it to like it's like I've seen that in the
2: wild too, up. and okay. it is uncanny. Well,
0: uh, <laughs> am let, I right? Is that are we yeah, gonna, kind of. <laughs> I
2: mean, so
3: so this this research paper is specifically about uh, it, it unpacks the ideal male bottom. Um, and it's, it's the first of, a, of its kind for a research paper. So the objective here is to define the ideal male buttocks, uh, the buttocks aesthetics. Is this it's not really- hilarious
2: that this is, we're just like in the time of like <laughs> basically fully deconstructing ideal anything for yeah. anybody?
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, and they did this through crowdsourced anal- analysis. So the methodology was they utilized a crowdsourced online survey distribution where respondents rated digitally altered images of male buttockses. Um, also, by the way, we're going to get like butai, if you will. Uh, yeah, butai. Um, <laughs> we are going to get a little bit, a little bit, maybe a little bit science jargon heavy. So don't worry. I, I will, we'll translate this to the Gen Z once we get through this breakdown. Okay. So, um, and you're not going to want to miss it. (laughs) Okay, so the results, the study identified preferred dimensions and angles that represent the ideal male gluteal aesthetic with no insignificant difference in preferences across respondent sex. The conclusions, findings indicate a preference for a projected, contoured, but narrower male buttock. Which could guide future gluteal contouring
0: techniques. I mean, just from my own Mm. personal preference? I I can see that. Because like, you know, you want it to like you want from the side profile it to have that like that shape that like sort of protrudes out. But also from the front, for the male in particular, you don't want that like outward protrusion that like gives it that sort of hourglass. Right. You're looking dry. Wow. A a slender Tight but kind like, of like voluptuous, an, it's kind of like an male inverse kind of nailed it
2: inverse to female. Like, you want to like you kind of think of Ving into the hips instead of contouring out at the hips.
3: So, well, actually, no, so, so, um, yes and no, but so, uh, I'll, I'm actually gonna play you a video.
0: <laughs> I'm just thinking for my own personal preference, like, right, what yeah, I yeah, would yeah, prefer yeah, to yeah, see. Yeah, no, you're thinking of like Not what
3: everybody should be.
0: Yeah. They, right. Yeah. Like
3: that's what
2: you're yeah. saying. Everybody yeah. I'm, should be this
0: I'm, way. I'm saying what everybody should look like. Right. Yes. So yeah. So I
3: have a video here and this is also something new to me. I didn't, I never realized that there's like, I don't know if this is sort of a, a, a sort of like marketing ploy for research papers, but like there's this video that was on this research paper website that was like, it was like a video of a, somebody who has nothing to do with the study, Reacting to their to 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 reading the study study reaction videos. So yeah, so so (laughs) that's what we do, (laughs) (laughs) guys. That's what we do. (laughs) So I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna play this, and uh, and, and you're gonna see we're gonna see visuals of exactly what it is. That they, that they landed on. Just FYI, this video <laughs> And this is not is include not...
0: Nid- nudity. This is fucking full-ass nude. Well, the thing is, this, vi- this but video... this is educational. This is an, actually a, yeah. a side note, asterisk. This video is actually not on YouTube. This episode right now our next episode right. will be fully available on YouTube. So yes. don't be confused by the fact that we're watching yeah. videos and talking about them. Yeah. Just listen.
3: Just listen right. right now. And also, yeah. if you want to watch this video and see the, the contour glue, maybe we'll actually put a, a social post up. Or we could put um, a link in this, the description. This video exists <laughs> or on <show> YouTube. Notes. <laughs> yeah. so, so let's check this out. Video discussion. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> so. We're not even going to address it? <laughs> just, just Hi, listen. I'm just Dr. Listen.
1: Michelle Shermack and I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in Baltimore. I was asked to comment on a paper written in the Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery <laughs> Journal, which is looked face at not the moving? ideal <laughs> male aesthetic buttock. <laughs> they Different images okay. of male buttocks oh, Yeah, were all right, look at look at all his butts. To alter Holy the shit. level of projection uh, within the buttock, and then these 2,100 respondents were asked to identify their ideal projection generally what was found is that looking at projection from the side and okay, obliquely, so a fairly geometry moderate level happening here of projection was preferred by the respondents yeah. and from the back uh the yeah, preference no. was to see a narrow, narrow. Gluteal region yeah. with, mm. hip, uh, with hip with hip dips or trochanteric depressions mm-hmm. a more defined so like, kind like of dimples.
3: dimples on the butt and that's right i used to have that
1: varied a bit uh depending upon age race sexual orientation even employment, uh, body image, oh, where the patients were from. Employment. And uh, what is so interesting. i a truck driver. I actually it prefer it really my does butts help to be us as plastic <laughs> surgeon readers. A little wider. Not enough hair on that one. With patients who come in who are interested in uh, body contouring procedures. What is also interesting is that there's a very different goal in, in, yeah. uh, in uh, our female patients versus our male patients. And women, Definitely. the hip dip is out. Uh, they want augmentation. Hip tip is out. They Hip tip, tip is out. Out. No,
3: no longer hot. Rounded nice peach. Rounded. They want that peach yeah, but And again, again, Gen Zs just stick around because uh, we. I will translate all this for you because I know this is
1: to get the, to the ideal.
3: or to cringe.
1: Article and I enjoyed reading it.
3: She did enjoy that.
1: <laughs> so and we enjoyed. Uh,
2: your, I feel like your reaction. she has a little bit too much skin in the game, if you will. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Actually, physically not, and professionally guys, 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 not guys. that much hey, skin actually
0: hey. it was fairly her perspective was fairly tight hey okay <laughs> all right guys bro, guys <laughs> No.
3: no, 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 dude. Well, I think all it's right, important so, I right, acknowledge so, so, no, 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 no. so the results. Okay, the results. Uh, demographics. Uh, there was two thousand ninety-five respondents who chimed in on which butts they preferred to uh, whack off to. If it was the, that place's
0: mailing list that was responding to this, and, then uh, uh, I feel like this study is not the, credible. The
3: majority of the the respondents were male, so sixty-one percent male, uh, age twenty-five to thirty-five. Um, and uh, the ideal aesthetics, so like she said, and this is where it gets, gets kind of nitty-gritty, preferred lateral ratio of 1.18 oblique angle to 60 degrees and a posterior ratio of 0.66, indicating moderate projection with a defined trof- uh, uh, trochoteric depression. Uh, subgroup variations, notable differences in preferences were observed across regions, like she said, race, sexual orientation, and what their job is, apparently. And then general preference: both men and women favored a buttock that is more projected and contoured, but with a narrower width. Width.
0: Yeah. Um. So the conclusions. Um. Is that a surprise? Like, do you, not, like, do not you? really. Find, I mean, when you when you look at that, you're like, I could see how somebody would think that this is. Yeah. You know, like based on like, and I, I I'm speaking mostly based off of like, I think. Socially, our perspectives of what is attractive is shaped by the media. And so, like, you know, we see people. Not just in, the media, I mean, culture, I think, time. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, but, but I, but like, you know, you know what and, I mean? Largely, I, I know largely, what like, yeah, what, yeah. what sort of the idea s- socially of what is attractive is this, like, kind of, yeah, you know, we, we make this to be Certainly some sort of like, like, shared general oh, right. thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, when you look at, like, if you were to look at, a daytime soap opera guy who's like wearing, you know, briefs and walking yeah. down the street. I'm I'm guessing that you could probably guess what his butt would look like.
2: That's what you, that's what this is
0: going for, right? Yeah. That's like what that's this what is pointing it, towards. It's like showing what we generally prefer. Like when you scroll but through like, an
2: H and M website and you go, "Oh, that looks nice," mm. but then you go
3: to H and M and you try it on you and you go,
0: "And mm, you go, God yeah. damn it, why am I so flat? Yeah. Really
3: doesn't fit. Why do I have? Why do I don't? Why do Why do I not have contoured?" Uh, tro- 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 trochantic dimples uh-huh, and, yeah. and the
0: point that I'm trying to make is that we could guess the results of this study based on what we see because socially like what we see as an aggregate of like society's yeah. you know, expectation of what is attra- well i mean people quote, can't unquote, see it attractive. but like the
3: example that she sh- she showed the example of like what what women prefer um and it's it's like for themselves yeah women yeah, yeah, for yeah. Themselves, and yeah. and like that example is very much like the, when I saw the picture I went But the first thing that came to my mind was like, oh, Kim Kardashian. Right? Like and that is like that again to the media part, like that is very much like a it very much plays a fucking role. It's it's wild. Um okay, so to the part where where you know all the all of our young bucks, um, you can now start to tune back in. Um, we'll get to the translation. Actually, guys, I whipped up a Gen Z translation theme song for these segments. Okay. Yeah, okay, here we go.
2: Fortnite battle pass. I just shit out my ass. Hold it on my PC. Cause I need, need to get that Fortnite battle pass. I like Fortnite. Did I mention Fortnite? I like Fortnite. It's night yeah. I mean, five o'clock at basically night time. Now
3: remember, yeah. country network at measure time. Yeah, let's go. All right. I embarrassed go. to oh, admit yeah. how many times I've heard that song <laughs> before. <laughs> All right, here we go. Gen Z, uh the abstract. Uh The objective of this study defining the drip for male booty goals with a crowdsourced vibe check. Okay, So the methodology that they used uh, slid into Amazon MT, uh, MTurk to drop a survey. Peeps rated those edited male booty pics. Okay, and here are the results. Found the most fire dim- uh, dimensions and angles for that ideal male glute aesthetic. And get this, no cap dudes, the du- uh, dudes and dudettes uh, didn't differ on what they stand. Conclusions? T is... Everyone's down for a peachy, snatched, but not too thick, male booty thick with two C's. Uh, setting the bar for future booty glow-ups. Now here's the background to this, all the context. So we've got zero clarity on what slaps for male booty standards, unlike the heaps of DEETs on female glucose. So Hell the yeah. need for the study is uh, with over a mil male glow-ups on <laughs> with with over a mil male glow-ups in 2019 in the US it 's high key important to catch what male booty aesthetics hit different straight from the source so here 's the methods and, and uh, the patients, so survey design ask the squad about their body type vibes, dimensions, and to rate those booty picks from na to yas. Across these three angles, uh, side, kind of side, and back. (laughs) (laughs) Measurements rolled out with some geeky math, literal, uh, lateral thigh to booty ratio, side, side angle thing, and booty curve index to to measure that booty pop. This is so hard to read. It's so hard to read. It, It feels like reading a different language. Participant demographics scooped up all the deets on the fam's gender, age, race, thickness with two C's, who they like, and more. And then analysis tools whipped out like. two-way ANOVA with the donuts clap back for the stats showdown. Okay, <laughs> So here are the results. Uh, the demographics got 2,905 peeps weighing in, mostly bros, 61%, and their prime... Uh, in their prime 25 to 34 (laughs) and a lot of them were white (laughs) (laughs) ideal aesthetics the squad is all about that 1.18 side ratio a 60 a a 60 degree kind of side angle and a back ratio of 0.66 giving us that chef's kiss moderate peach with a side of definition (laughs) subgroup variations Found some spicy tea on how these peeps from different places, races, who they heart, their gig, their gym rats, see things, see them things differently. Jesus Christ. And general preference, both the guys and gals are here for that peachy projection and definition, but said, keep it sleek on the width. Uh, So what's next on the docket? The deep dive into male booty aesthetics fills a big old gap in the glow up science, giving us the 411 on what's peak for the peach. These gems could pave the way for next-level booty sculpting moves, making sure bros walked into the OR, or can bros who walked into the OR can walk out feeling 100. Might even drip into how snagging that ideal booty look impacts bros mentally and peeps those satisfaction levels for the long haul. Nice. Oh God. They don't. Thank you for that. They don't. Very
0: telling. They don't like periods or commas. Those. Uh... Gen Z, eh? I, I'm I'm glad that you put it that way because I feel like that gave me a deeper level of understanding of what now we're I talking get it. about. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, hope you enjoyed that, folks. And, uh, and big shout out to our guests today. Um, and uh, happy Rare Disease Day tomorrow. Um, and we won't be coming back to this for another four years. So just keep your, keep your eyes peeled on that. That next uh, Rare Disease episode. That's it. <laughs> uh, uh, so love your support. Uh, thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast further, uh, rate and review and subscribe, go on over to YouTube, uh, leave comments. Uh, we're going to be back with our regular YouTube viewing in uh, in just over uh, just over two weeks. So we're getting there. And um, and in the meantime, if you want to come hang out on Discord, please do. We'd love to see it. Love to have you there. Uh, our Discord is on fleek. It is poppin100. Get those V-Bucks. Uh, and, uh, and that's the tea. And that's the tea. Of course, if you want to be on the show, uh, sickboypodcast.com. You can go there for any information. If you want to reach out to us or if you want to submit yourself to be a guest, we'd love to have you. And, uh, and why don't you uh, uh, give a little...
0: Love to uh, all the peeps that who make help this make this happen pop off. Yeah, shout out to Annika, our production assistant, to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan for the sound design, Jeff Lonus, our manager, and to everybody else who helps with this show in the background and in the foreground and in the middle ground. We appreciate all of you. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. Uh, Taylor just left, and I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick
3: Boy. <laughs>
5: Do you think we're better off? Cause I don't know when enough is enough I've exhausted all my fuel Because I gave it all to you Ran through the last red light All because I didn't read the signs In the passenger side Do you feel guilty now? Girl
2: For CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash
4: podcasts.